Welcome to the Unstoppable Yes You podcast, where we celebrate the achievements of Caribbean people to inspire the next generation. I'm your host, Curlis Phillip. Caribbean creativity is unstoppable. And in this series, I will introduce you to artists that are moving the Caribbean culture forward. From contemporary paintings to photography to mixed media, you'll get to feel the passion, inspiration, and techniques that fuel these artists' work. They'll share helpful tips for those of you who are interested in learning what it takes to thrive in this space. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Trinidadian Korean artist, Marissa Young Lee. Marissa is a self-taught artist best known for her oil portraits of traditional mass performers. She draws inspiration from the meaningful connections and artistry of her subjects and from the continual challenges of the medium. Her work has been exhibited in the National Museum, the Art Society of Trinidad and Tobago, the Rotunda Gallery, and many other private collections locally and internationally. Welcome, Marissa. Hi. Such a pleasure to have you. So I'm going to start with a very uh, reflective question. So take us back to 10-year-old Marissa. What are some of the things that you enjoyed doing growing up in Trinidad? I was very outdoorsy. Uh, my cousins and I like to go outside and make mud pies, um, explore the backyard forest and climb trees and, and do all that outdoorsy stuff. And I also really liked drawing as a child. I used to doodle a lot of Betty and Veronica comics and um, and Fido, you know Fido from the Sprite commercial. I used to draw him everywhere. It was just things like that. So at what age would you say you discovered art? As far back as I could remember, I always liked drawing. Um, but, you know, it, it was it was something that was treated as a natural affinity and a, a cute hobby. But I certainly never thought I would do it as a career. I know you started out in watercolor and then you decided to switch to oil painting. So what made you make that transition? I started with watercolor mainly because I did art for CXE and we did not have an art teacher, but a guest teacher came in one day just to kind of analyze everybody's work. And she told me that I had a very delicate hand and that watercolor would suit my soft touch. And so I, I took that to heart and I really, um, I went with that. And so anytime I, I would paint, it would be watercolor. And I found it to be a very relaxing medium. You know, it's just, it, it bleeds and flows. And, and I like that very much. I transitioned to oil because I discovered the work of Susan Lyon and Scott Burdick. And before I saw their work, I'd always thought of oil paintings as as very formal, you know, Renaissance style, Mona Lisa, and things that couldn't be touched. And that it was very, you know, it was up here and it was a very specific formal Rembrandt kind of style. But then I saw their work and it was very colorful and vibrant and and they were painting subject matter that that appealed to me. And that was the first time I saw that oil painting could could be playful and fun and vibrant. And I really, really wanted to be able to paint like that. So I made the switch. And it wasn't easy because the um you paint with oil in the complete opposite way you paint with watercolor. So in watercolor you start with, you know, light and you gradually build up your darks. In oils you have to start with the darks and move toward the light. So it was quite um a challenge, but it's something that I really enjoy. Today, how would you describe your style? Um, it's it's a work in progress. I can tell you what I would like the style to be <laughs> eventually. 
Um, I ascribe to the John Singer Sargent style of realism. And uh, for those of you who don't know, John Singer Sargent was an American realist painter who spent a lot of time in, in France with contemporaries like Monet. And their impressionism was a heavy influence for him. So he started doing these realistic looking portraits, life-size portraits that from a distance looked like you could touch the person. But then when you came up close, you saw that it was a realistic image made up of all these abstract brush strokes. Because when you came up close, you saw, oh, it's just these quick little daubs of paint. And it wasn't blended together at all. It was just really, really impressionistic. And um, and that's the style that I would like to be able to do. It's very difficult. So I want to be able to do that. I want like a realistic image comprised of impressionistic brush strokes and colors. Have all of your training been self-taught? Yeah, for the most part. Um, I've taken some workshops. I've taken workshops with Susan Lyon and Scott Burdick. Uh, also with Suchitra Bosley and Pramod Gurlika. But for the most part, I'm, I'm self-taught. I mean, workshops aren't going to teach you how to paint from scratch. They're going to share ideas with you and, you know, certain techniques or concepts. But it's really up to you to come home and really try to apply what you've learned. Yeah, and just make it your own. Yeah, exactly. And at workshops, I mean, those things are three days, sometimes one day, sometimes five days. And you tend to do your worst work at, at workshops because you're learning something new. And there's a lot of pressure because there's so many good people around you. And I always do my worst at workshops, but then I come home determined. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to figure this out. Marissa, how do you approach each new piece? That, well, there's two approaches. There's uh, studio pieces and there's pieces that come together from what I see on the road. And in particular with carnival pieces, I tend to go to all these different events at carnival that center around traditional masqueraders. And I'll go with my camera and just take a million photos. And a lot of the times, whatever they're doing on the road or on the stage, they give you something that's very special. And I really want to remember this moment. And I want people to experience this moment with me. They're not here with me right now, but if I can somehow capture this moment that is, is in my head and I see this moment as so magical, and if I can somehow convey this on a canvas, I want to share that with people. Um, so there's that. And then there's these studio shoots. I can hire a model. I can sit down at, you know, at home and, and come up with a concept of how I'd like to, I don't know, have a model draped in a particular way with light shining on him or her from behind or from however wearing a particular thing doing a particular thing and those are more conceptual i get to control that from beginning to end whereas with the street photography and paintings as you know it's whatever happens is what you get but with the studio shoot i get to control that from beginning to end and conceptualize it and i get to hire models and and take photos and paint them from life and and do, you know, proper studies. I really take my time with those. You mentioned two other artists that served as inspiration for your work. Are there any others that you would see as big influences? Living or alive? Yeah, living or non-living. Yeah, um, I really, really like, in terms of local art, I really like Ramon Navarro's work. I love his impressionistic colors. His compositions are always very tight. He does a, a thing where he, he puts a spotlight on his focal point. And, and that's something I really admire. And his pieces are very, very, very colorful. But 
so masterfully and tastefully done that it doesn't jump out at you as garish. It just blends together so seamlessly that your eyes are just in perfect harmony. Oh, that sounds magical. It really is. He has a really fairy tale kind of style. You mentioned Carnival and that being a big um, influence in, in terms of um, some of the art that you create, but are there any um, personal influences that has caused you to say, okay, I'm just going to, you know, pick up my brush and start painting? Yeah. Um, to be honest, when I was about um, 18, 17, 18, somewhere around there, I started working in a store in Gulf City where it was art-related, and I had a really bad experience. It was really happy at first, but then it became very bad where um, the person who was in charge of me was being very mean and discouraging. I'm the kind of person where I don't respond well to people coming down on me and stuff. I, I respond well to gentle correction. If someone comes at me with aggression, I shut down. And so um, and he came at me with, with that kind of attitude. And for years after that, I just, I did not paint. I did not draw. Because he would tell me things like, you know, you're doing mess and <laughs> this is absolute garbage and things like that. And it really affected me. Like, I really did think I'm not good. So I just gave it up. And some years later, maybe like 10 years later, the person that I was dating at the time, David Chin, I think he found some old drawing or something of mine. He's like, what's this? And and um, I said, well, I used to draw. And I told him the story. And this was, we had been dating for a few years and he had no idea that I used to draw. And then one day he came over the next day. He didn't say a word, but he thought about it. He came over the next day and he said, I've decided you're going to draw again. <laughs> And he just brought art supplies and all of that. And he was like, yeah, go ahead, do it. And since then, I've been doing it. And within that span of like the 10-year gap, so what did you do in the interim? All kinds of things. I was, I, was, I was studying law. I was doing part-time work for a doctor. I was <laughs> all kinds of things. I was just really just avoiding doing the thing that I was meant to do, really finding all sorts of ways to not confront that truth. Yeah, I mean, it's sad how, like, some people can really steer you away from, you know, what drives passion in you with just simple words. I don't want to, you know, lay all that blame on that person. I mean, I feel like if that would happen to me now, I wouldn't take it. But I was very young and impressionable. And that was my first experience with a, a mentor figure. So... It affected me really badly, but I would like to say that no, I wouldn't let that happen to me again. Yeah. And as I think about our audience, and I think that's a good point to make, is that no matter if you're young and you're getting mentorship, that you should still stand in your truth, right? And follow your passion and not let anyone else deter you. So thanks for sharing that. I know you've exhibited all over, so... How did you secure your first exhibit? Um, like the first time I showed anywhere actually was with the Art Society at one of their members' exhibitions. And it was a watercolor piece. And um and after that, you know, just trying to enter little shows here and there like that. Um I got into the Horizons New Faces exhibition, which was really a turning point for me in terms of being unestablished exhibiting artist. I used to go to Horizons to do all of my framing 
and um, one of the girls there, Dominique, she didn't tell me, but she took some of my paintings next door to the gallery, and she said, hey, this girl comes here all the time, check it up, check her out, and they liked what they saw, and they invited me to take part into the New Faces exhibition, and then I think I submitted four pieces there, and all of the pieces sold on opening night. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And then based on that, they invited me to come back for a group show. It was a four-person show. And then most of the pieces sold there too. And then after that, I got invited to do a solo and then another solo. And and, and that's the way it's been going. And, um, and I'm very lucky. I understand that if the pieces don't sell, I might not, you know, it wouldn't have led to all these opportunities. So I was very aware of that and very... um decided in my approach and in the things that I would paint on my determination to do it as best as possible. I think that's a, a great um, statement that you just made. So how did selling certain pieces influence what you painted going forward? It's a really great question and it's something that I struggle with more now than back then. And so back then when I had the first group exhibition, Around that time, I was kind of being courted by a manager. And he was telling me that you have to paint certain things. There's certain things that sell in Trinidad. And you have to paint these things. You can paint a few experimental pieces, but these are the things you have to paint. Every show you do, you have to paint. They would be sailboats, coconut vendors, um, old houses. He had a very well-thought-out list. He said, these are the things. And he bought a lot of art, so I had to defer to his opinion. But at the same time, I, I'm not a landscape artist. And I told him this repeatedly. I'm not a landscape artist. I don't do things like that. Houses and beaches and, you know, sailboats and stuff. And he, he wouldn't hear it. He said, you're not confident. That's why you don't want to paint it. There's a difference between portrait art and landscape art. And um, I told him at the time that I have this this deep interest in traditional mass and blue devils and moko jumbies and I really, really want to do that. That I want that to be my life's work. And he told me, that's cute, but um, that's never going to sell. People do not like to buy scary things. They like pretty things. They don't like that. That's not going to sell. And he took me to Horizons and told the, um, the managers and they there, Talk to Marissa. She wants to paint blue devils and moko jumbies. Please explain to her that that stuff is never going to sell. And Lisa at Horizons, God bless her. She said, I don't want to tell Marissa that because, Marissa, I think you have a way of painting things that translates how you see it. And I don't ever want to tell an artist what to paint. So if you want to try a few moko jumbies and blue devils, you go right ahead. And the, the funny thing is, is that the Blue Devils and the Moko Chambis were the first to go. And now those are the things that people want. That's like, if I put a show up and I don't have a Blue Devil or Moko Chambi in it, people think, where are they? I told you, there's a baron that I painted with Russell Grant, Baron Cimetier. And I could have sold that baron 50 times over. I've had people constantly calling, are you going to paint another baron? I, I, I want one. And like, people are fighting over it. And it warms my heart that this thing that people are saying was so scary that I find so beautiful. It really warms my heart that other people are finding it beautiful now. Yeah. And, you know, it's great to hear that you stay true to you and not just think about the commercialization of your art, but what really 
spoke to you and what really drives you? But of course, to come back to your, your question, that is something that I struggle with more now because art is something that I do full time. This is my, my income. So at least for the last exhibition in, in particular, there was a lot of worry about are people going to get fed up of this? Uh, you know, Are they going to say I'm a one-trick pony? I'm only doing blue doubles. I'm a push on these. And there was a lot of anxiety about it. That I guess it was it set in late. But... um. But yeah, there was some some deliberation as to whether I should try and paint some things that I think would be more commercial and and paint stuff that I think uh, you know my my particular taste. But it all comes down to no matter what I paint, I try my best to paint it in a way that I personally would like to see that hanging on my wall, and just paint it from the heart. How do you go about keeping it fresh? Yeah, no, that that is a struggle. That is a struggle too. Like after a time, you don't want to paint the same barn and the same makeup over and over. I mean, while I love that particular model and and that outfit and makeup, it if you overdo it, it does tend to become a task instead of, you know, something that's exciting and fresh. So. In terms of the blue doubles and mokos, I'm lucky in that I don't have to rely on the same models over and over. Well, same makeup and costume. They're always keeping it fresh. Every year they have. And for different events, they have different outfits and costumes and stuff. So the inspiration is endless. I never have to worry about keeping it fresh when they're giving me so much material to work with. You know, the studio stuff is probably more where I have to think about trying not to be too repetitive and whatnot. But really, once the light hits it a particular way, and then I think I can work with it. Because for me, it's all about light. Marissa, as you reflect on your journey to date, what would you say is your greatest accomplishment? Wow. (laughs) Right off the top of my head, I want to say it's that I've been able to form friendships with the traditional masqueraders before they were just people that I saw on the street and like really admired but didn't dare speak to because I, just, I don't know I was too shy and now I've, I've gotten to the point where I have them on my phone and I can call them and say hey you want to do a shoot and I have Baron Samdi sitting in my living room putting on makeup and, <laughs> and Stephanie from the next level doubles right here you know playing a job in, in my house that kind of thing Lionel Jagasa in full costume in my backyard Anytime that happens, I always take a moment to stop and say, wow, this is is amazing. So I was looking at your work and I'll tell you one of the pieces that really spoke to me. And there, I mean, there are a number, but I I was like, Carlos, you have to pick one. So so this one just spoke to me. It was was titled Closer My Dare. Ah, okay. So tell me about the inspiration for that piece. I'm surprised you chose that piece and not the, the predecessor, which is You Have No Power Here. Did you see that one? I did see that one, but just something with her hole in that lantern. I was like, what is that story? I appreciate that a lot because everybody goes for the first one. And the second one really, now that particular model and with that lantern, I got so much good material from her. It was really difficult to pick one, just one pose to paint. And so the first one was, you have no power here, which everyone loved. And it came off well, but it hurts my heart to have that be a one and done when there's so many good poses and 
I didn't want to repeat the pose. I wanted to still have it be original, but with the same beautiful light and that model's perfect posture and stuff. So I did the painting. It was a different pose. She was more turned to the side. And whereas with the first one, she was staring directly at the viewer, very confrontational-like. With this one, she was kind of turned off to the side and looking off into the distance. And it really, to me, felt very La Jabless. Like, with the lantern, and she's turned to the side, and her feet are hidden. And it feels like you're being, you know, for me, like the model was luring you in, but but you couldn't tell if this was going to end well or not. And I really like that kind of open-ended ambiguity. Yeah, there was something about it that was both dark for me, but also enlightening. I really like open-ended stories. And, and with my paintings in particular, I, I like, I always say I like to see it as, you know, when you go to school um, for English and they, they give you a sentence to either end or begin an essay with, and you fill in the rest. That's how I like to see it. Like I'm trying to give enough, enough there for the viewer to make a story in their own mind and to, to come up with the conclusion. So I don't mind if somebody else has a completely different interpretation of it. I like that a lot. And that's the power of art, right? It, there shouldn't be just one interpretation. Yeah. So for you know young people that might be interested in art um, as a career choice, what advice do you have for them? Just from your perspective in terms of how they can sort of develop their career to be able to take it full time? Yeah, no, that's a, a really great question. And um and this is stuff that I wish was told to me when I was in school, because even when I was in school, it always kind of came off like art is a hobby. It's something you do on the side. It's a, if you want to make money from it, it's a side hustle, but you have to have a real job. And what I've personally found is I had a real job while I was trying to balance art on the side and it just wasn't working. Um, and I wasn't really improving because I wasn't devoting enough time to it. So the first thing I would say is that it is very doable to have a career based on art, to sell paintings and sell work and do commissions and whatnot. Just understand that it's not like one day you sell a painting and you make a million dollars and that's it, you know? You have to treat it as a job. You have to treat it as it's something that you're marketing. It's Yes, it's paintings, but it could easily be food. You're selling barbecue or something. You still have to go about marketing it. You have to market yourself. You have to be able to go to galleries and present your work. You have to. I used Facebook and, and Instagram a lot to promote my work. And based on that, I got a lot of, you know, word of mouth and whatnot. But you still have to treat it as a business. You still have to get up and work, set up, you know, designated hours. There's discipline. It's, it's, it is working for yourself. It is a lot of hard work and you do have to set aside enough time to dedicate to the work. If you want to sell art, you have to make sure that you're constantly pursuing improvement. You can't just rely on friendly people on Facebook who are so encouraging and be like, you're amazing and that's so good and stuff and say, oh, I've made it. Right. You, you can't, you can't do that. That doesn't sell. No, no, no. <laughs> and people will always mean well. They'll always be very encouraging, but you can't let that, that settle into your ego and, you know, make you think that your work is done and you can just stay the same. You have to evolve and there's always other artists coming up who are excellent too. 
you have to treat it competitively as well. I have to evolve. I have to keep up with the market. I have to, you know, so that's the business side of it, I would say, is, is something that we're not taught in school. We're taught how to paint and draw, but we're not taught how to market yourself and how to treat it as a business. It is very doable, like I said, to make a living off of art. Once you understand that, okay, if I want to pay rent this month and I want to make groceries and whatnot, I have to sell X amount of paintings or do X amount of commissions, and you have to make that quota. But maybe one day you'll sell a $60,000 painting and, you know, but don't expect <laughs> to just jump out of the bat and, you know, it's going to be like that. You, it's fine if you sell a painting for 2000 a month, 3000 a month, 6000 whatever. Just know that you have to sell X amount to do what you're doing. That's great advice. And then, of course, on the on the art side of it, you know, try to paint from the heart. Try to improve at every single moment. You know, just don't let the don't let the ego get too big. There's so many artists out there, especially Caribbean artists, um, past and present, that's been um, either overlooked or just not known. So, what are your thoughts on why that is? In Trinidad, in particular, I, I don't know. I um, I think that for a long time there's been a particular, I guess, style or subject matter that's been the norm, and it, this has been the thing that everybody accepts is what is fine art in Trinidad. Nobody dared to challenge that, and so it's like it's like that guy who tried to be my manager said, you know, these are the things you have to paint if you want to sell art in Trinidad. And when he said that, it, it clicked that, well, this is why everybody's painting all this stuff, because everybody's saying to them, this is what you have to paint. And so the art becomes repetitive, but everybody's doing it because they want to make money and you can't blame them for that. But I suppose anybody who would come and, and do something out of the box might be considered weird or, or discouraged. So like, who is to say that? The way that guy who tried to manage me told me, don't paint the stuff, is never going to sell. Who's to say that if I wasn't younger when he told me that, I would have not painted it. I would have shut down the same way I shut down, you know, when I was younger. And this guy told me I was painting garbage. So I think it's, it's yeah, it's, it's, oh, I don't want to ruffle any feathers, but maybe there's some older heads in the, in the art world who are, probably not encouraging younger people to be innovative and if the younger people are you know shy and timid like like I was it might shut them down yeah so a follow-up question to that would be what's the best advice that you've been given as an artist um not so much advice but like relatable it's really listening to my first mentors Scott and Susan Scott Burdick and Susan Lyon it's really listening to them and and hear them speak about their struggles and and their their desire to constantly improve and for me when i look at them they are considered international masters like they've won the international portrait competition so many times and you know they teach all over the world they to me they are masters but when you hear them speak about how they're so unhappy with how this came out and sometimes they, they cry because they just they're just not getting the thing that they want to get. And and that's something I experience all the time. And I I guess I had it in my head that hopefully I'd get to their level one day and I wouldn't struggle anymore. You know, things would just come naturally. But hearing that at their level, 
that struggle never ends, that put a lot, I don't know, it just, it did something to me mentally where I understood that if that struggle never ends, then that's fine. That just means that I'm I'm still learning and the learning never stops. And when, when the learning never stops, that leaves a lot of room for improvement. If you're not struggling and you think you've mastered something, then you're no longer leaving room to learn. And that was the biggest takeaway for me from that. Yeah, to be that, you know, forever student. Yeah, exactly, exactly. My, the improvement in my work jumped so much when I came to that conclusion. But before I had that realization, the work was just, I guess, hobbyist at best. And I thought I was so good, but it really wasn't. It wasn't until I made that realization that I actually started to improve. Marissa, complete this sentence for me. I feel unstoppable when? I feel unstoppable when I'm putting the final touches on a painting that I was struggling with and it's about done. And I can look back on it and say, I did it. I was able to figure it out. Good stuff. Marissa, thank you so much for taking your time to share your story with us and your journey with us. Thank you for having me. Indeed, a pleasure to have you. Tell us where our guests can connect with you, see your work, purchase your work. Yeah, um, guests can connect with me on Instagram and Facebook. Um, it's Marissa Young Lee, Y-U-N-G, uh, not Y-O-U-N-G. And um, you can direct message me there. Some of my work is at Horizons Art Gallery. And I'm going to take part in the Lots Carnival exhibition that opens on Wednesday as well. So I have a few pieces there. Great. To our Unstoppable Yes You Tribe, thank you for your continued support. Don't forget to check out more stories about Caribbean impact makers, rising stars, and trailblazers at unstoppableyesu.com. 